Holidays. I'm Rachel Moore, President and CEO of the Music Center in Los Angeles. Thank you for tuning into our podcast series, Offstage and Unbound. In today's episode, we'll speak with Lourdes Lopez, Artistic Director for Miami City Ballet. Lourdes created a nutcracker performance filled with whimsy and the joy of the holidays. Lourdes, welcome to Offstage and Unbound. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I'm really looking forward to being out there in Los Angeles and uh, um, and sharing this wonderful production with uh, with all of you. So I think it's always fun to start at the beginning. You're now the artistic director of Miami City Ballet, but what was your journey as a young dancer going to School of American Ballet and to City Ballet? Oh, my God, the journey was so long. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, no, I really, honestly, when I look back, it just feels like millions of years ago. Um, I was raised, uh, not born in in Miami, I was born in Cuba, but I was raised in Miami, and I left um, really quite young at the age of 14 because I wanted to be a professional ballet dancer. Uh, I was given a scholarship to the School of American Ballet um, full, uh, you know, year-round. And so uh, between the ages of 14 and, and 15 and a half, I studied with them. And then I got into the company as an apprentice, um, first at 15 and a half and then at 16, and really danced uh, with New York City Ballet, only with New York City Ballet. I mean, they were wonderful, wonderful years. Those were the years of George Balanchine and Jerome Robbins. And um, as you know, the dance world in the 80s was just a, a really a very, very exciting time in New York. Um, but anyway, so I danced with them for 24 years, um, which seems like, you know, a, a bajillion years ago, <laughs> four lifetimes ago. Uh, but it was wonderful. They, I have um, phenomenal memories of it. Um, obviously not all good, but I was very, very lucky to, do, uh, to be doing what I love to do um, every day of my life, whether it was good or bad, and to be able to support and, and you know, make a living at what I would, what I love to do. I, I decided at the age of 39 that I didn't want to, I didn't like the word retire. I, I like to say that I got tired. <laughs> <laughs> so at the age of 39, I quietly retired. I was a principal dancer. I quietly, um, stepped down and I did some television work. I was a, um, cultural arts reporter for WNBC in New York, and I did, uh, you know, a lot of cultural arts reporting and, and basically taught myself those ropes, but the, the television world is a harsh one. It's it's way too fast. It didn't have enough content for me, and something about it and me just didn't really gel, and um, after two years, I kind of weaned myself out of that and started teaching for a ballet school in New York, Ballet Academy East, uh, and I loved it because I wanted, I did want to get back to somehow um, to dance specifically into the arts. I didn't want to get away from that too too far away. And that really just, that led me to a, um, a position with the George Balanchine um, Foundation, Barbara Horgan, which was um, Mr. Balanchine's right, right arm for many, many years. And at the time was the executor of his of the George Balanchine Trust, um, which is an organization that licenses all of his works and does the intellectual property, approached me and said, would you like to be the executive director of 
this small foundation that really deals with his with his past works and 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 projects specifically centered around him and I said well I don't know the first thing about it and she said that's really great <laughs> you know, you're going to be perfect <laughs> and I said I said you know um what I'd love to do is that I'd love to just spend a summer just learning and I'd been to school um during my 24 year with New York City Ballet I ended up um Going to Fordham, and so I had a sense of the, I, I knew that I could learn, you know, mm-hmm. and I I did that, and I I loved those four years that I spent there because I learned about proposals, and I learned about uh, budgets, and I learned about grant writing, and I learned about board and governance, and I learned about uh, you know a whole slew of things that were had nothing to do were connected obviously to what was happening on the stage, but not not necessarily in the way that I knew it. And um, it was really an exciting time for me. And I also learned a lot about Mr. Balanchine himself as a man, because you have to read up on him and there are these articles and, you know, we were filing. So I loved those four years and um, ended up uh, actually heading the 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 centennial celebration of his hundredth um, celebration mm. in 2004, and uh, went to St. Petersburg and and did a whole uh, project with the Hermitage and um, and the Marinsky, and then from there I was it's just it's funny that you should ask me this because the question really is all interconnected um, because I was doing that I was approached by Christopher Wielden who said, you know, I'm interested in starting a ballet company from scratch. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay. Real. Yeah, sure. Let's go. (laughs) And, um, and he said, you know, and we were, Chris and I were, were, you know, close friends from, from dancing from, um, uh, because when he got into the company, I was still, I was still dancing and, uh, we kind of hit it off. Um, so we were in that same group of people and, and he confided in me, and he said, you know, I really kind of want to do this. And I said, okay, let's go. And and so we did that for, I think, three years. That was also a whole nother learning curve for me yeah. because it was fundraising, and it was a 501c3, and how do you start it, and right. what are the questions, and what does it mean, um, and programming, um, you know, venues and contracts and presented versus being non-presented. And so, again, it was like life was throwing me into another aspect of the dance world. I was still in dance, but in another area and another side. Um, And it's just interesting when you, as you know, Rachel, very, very well, intimately, one of the, probably one of the few people in the United States that when you come when you're involved in, in dance and you come to it from different from different vent areas or different parts, um, you get a real perspective of this machine, right? <laughs> kind of, right. And how it, yeah, how it. It's not just what you see on the stage, but there are other things that that take place. Um, so did that for three years with Chris, and he really wanted to um, focus completely on his choreography. Didn't really want to run ballet company and um, uh, the the board said, well, would you be interested in kind of just turning it into something else and inviting someone to create a, a production, a, an annual production? And that made me think about audiences, you know, where's right. the art form now? You know, where can it go? What, are, what do audiences? It was really the time that 
that whole social media was coming into play and people were thinking of even tweeting and performances and venues were freaking out because you were looking at your uh, iPhones, at your smartphones and right. sending messages in real time. And so um did that for uh, two years, and then Miami City Ballet came knocking on my door, and they kind of reeled me back into the place I was raised. Wow. So and how so long have you been artistic here, director now? Here, that's a very long-winded okay. question to your, to your <laughs> I mean, answer to yeah. your question, but... Um, as you can see, it just it, it has taken me in, in many, many different uh, ways, uh, not just the stage. Nutcracker is a huge part of New York City Ballet's, both their artistic presence and their business model. What was the first role you did in your first Nutcracker with them? The first role I did was maid and party scene. I was um, what I was a maid. I was in part one of the parents in party scene. I was Spanish, <laughs> and snow, obviously. Right. And it, you know, there's these. There are some ballets that um, uh, just because they come back annually or biannually, um, there's some ballets that you grow up, you grow up in. Um, right. And Nutcracker is is one of them. I think I'm not. I'm one of many, many dancers. You know, you, you start at the bottom, and the next thing you know, you're you know you're doing sugar you're doing sugar plum, <laughs> and so you you have a you know it very well, and it's it's really truly part of your DNA. The Balance Sheet Nutcracker is, you know, world renowned, iconic version, and um, Mr. B uh, was still working when you were dancing. Were there? Did he share specific thoughts about the Nutcracker? Do you remember him in rehearsals specifically looking for something or drawing something out of you? No, you know, by the time um, I got in in 1974, I mean, the Nutcracker had premiered in 1954, so he, you'd seen, I mean, he'd just seen just about everything. Um, I do remember we would always get to second act, and he was. He was always, it was every year, it was really funny, every year he was insistent <laughs> that the children are placed, you know, in this, like, little U um, semicircle formation in second act or a V. He was very much specifically for second act, um, always looking at where those angels were in, in connection to the sugar plum, in connection to... Um, and so that's something that I remember. I kept thinking how, how you know, detailed-oriented he he was and um and also the, the the kind of the pantomime which is very small but really the interaction between the sugar plum fairy and then the children that come in uh, Marie and the prince that come in um so it wasn't that he was looking for anything there were no pearls of of wisdom um but i was always impressed that even though this is a ballet that happened every year and that you grew up around it and people had been dancing for 20 years he was in those rehearsals, and he was watching, and he was correcting, and he was um, on top of things. Miami City Ballet has been doing the Balanchine version of Nutcracker. What precipitated a wanting to do a whole new physical production? Um, really one thing, well, two things. Um, initially, the, the, the production that we have was created for, or built for a much smaller stage, um, the stage in Naples. Mm. It's a beautiful, about a 700, 800-seat house. And so once we brought that production into the Arched or Kravis, which are much larger venues, it always, when I arrived in Miami, it always looked small. It, it always looked like it didn't, you know, that it that the scale was off. Um, uh -huh. 
when I when I looked at it in, in you know in respect to um, the proscenium and um, and the outside, and so I it it seemed odd to me. And then the other thing is that um, you know the the great thing about the the Balanchine at the New York City Ballet is that the tree grows from the stage, from underneath the stage. Their Balanchine had that stage built with a hole in it specifically for this, so that yeah. tree. It makes the entire production, or it's one of the main things. Stagecraft now has gotten so with technology, has moved ahead, you know, so much in these last, I'd say, even, you know, 10 to 15 years, that I thought, I bet, you know, you can now put a great, you know, wonderful new production of the Nutcracker where magically, you know, that tree um, actually does grow. And you don't need a hole in the ground. I mean... That's really what started sinking me, and we had done um, we'd done a Midsummer's uh, Night's Dream two years ago with Wendell Harrington, who's mm. the projectionist uh, mm-hmm. for Broadway, yep. and she was the one that really, you know, got me thinking this way about all the different things that you can do because stagecraft has really exploded in these last few years, and so those two things made me think, you know, I, you know, I think now is the time to do something that will last hopefully another you know, 25 to 30 years. Right. It was interesting speaking with the Toledos about uh, their process and learning about ballet and how gracious New York City Ballet had been to allow them to, you know, see the production and talk to everybody and to absorb the Karinska costumes and what have you. When you and the Toledos were initially chatting about a vision for this new production, what were your thoughts? What were your goals? I, you know, Rachel, it's always, um, it's a fine, (laughs) and I know you know this as well, it's a fine line that you walk between um, looking at an artist and saying, I want you to create something for us. Right. Um, And then, and then understanding that it has to be, you know, specifically if those artists have not worked in dance, um, it, there, there, there are some parameters, unfortunately. And so the only thing I told the Toledos, um, was that you know what Nutcracker kind of what I what it meant to me and what I thought it meant to generations, which is a story. Um, it's about a, 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 a it's it's about children and their imagination, really, frankly, and and mm-hmm. what an extraordinary place that time is in a child's life where anything in your mind is possible and you believe it all. Um, and then that this was the the Balanchine production that I had grown up. And even though it, it takes place in Nuremberg, and even though it's 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 a city that you know I'd never been to, that it always felt there was a sense of family, there was a sense of tradition, there was a sense of hearth, um, there was a sense of um, of belonging, you know, of warmth, and that that those feelings and whatever they created, those feelings were important regardless of where they put it. You know, you can put it in you know, and Alaska, if you want, but it has to have a sense of tradition and family and holiday and uh, an imagination, because I think that's what the original is. To me, that's what it says, and that's what it's about. And that's really kind of the only roadmap I gave them, and really they came up with all of this on their own. Um, and you have to guide them a little bit of this is not going to work because it's dancing and we need the space or we need that, or the you know, right, but right. those... You know, that's just part of the the job. 
Right, right. Well, and not having dealt with, you know, essentially outfits that have to be danced in. <laughs> yes, you know? I think that's, um, you know, it's, it is wonderful. It is really, they're, they're extraordinary. They're lovely, lovely people and, and extraordinary artists, a really creative artist, uh, each of them in their own in their own right and together as a kind of powerful duo. Um, but it, they're used to their clothes or their creations. It's very interesting. You know, they create something and there it goes and there it stays. And ours is a much more, there's an, there's an evolution that is constantly um, happening. And also we have to dance in these clothes. And and also there's an aesthetic. I mean, you spend, as you know, as a dancer, years and years and years, you're shaping your, your upper body, your head, your neck, your legs, and we don't want to hide them. Right, <laughs> so, right. <laughs> right. So, so you have to have these conversations, but, but they are so collaborative. The Toledos are so collaborative, and, and they're really understanding um, because with some artists, they're like, well, no, what do you mean? You know, right. So it's it's a real collaboration, I think, when you have um, when you invite artists from other disciplines to come in and work and dance. Um, they really have to be open to and comfortable with change. But it's also great to have people from other fields because it brings a freshness to our field of dance when you have new I, eyes. I, I know. I couldn't agree with you more. And and you have to you have to say well. You know, okay, this is the way it used to be. Is it okay if it's if it's something else? And you have to make those you have to make those calls. We're so excited to have you come to Los Angeles and be partnering on this production. And I will say that we are really excited that um, here in LA, you'll be using LA students, children in the production. I know, I and, know. It's so great. It's so great because it, um, to me, it just. Um, I mean, you were you, you guys facilitated this, um, but to me, it just feels that we're giving opportunities to other children to be part of of a production and to be part of Mr. Mr. Valentine's Nutcracker, and and it's always so exciting to be in something from the beginning, you know, to be, uh, so it's, it's, we are thrilled. We're very, very excited as well. It was serendipitous, perhaps, um, that the two people who run the Colburn Dance Academy, James Fayette and Jennifer Ringer, are also former New York City ballet dancers. And so we knew they knew the choreography. (laughs) (laughs) And they would know the style, right? They, and so it was great to be able to partner with a school that, had people who really understood what you as an artistic um, organization would need for sort of a Balanchine-driven uh, production. It's been wonderful. There's a real kind of diaspora out there. We kind of speak the same language in that they 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 understand. Like at one point, Jennifer Ringer and I were talking about the angel section, and she said, I know, I know, I know. They have to be small so they're gliding, like they look like they're gliding across the stage. And I, you know, I, that type of stuff you don't have to explain because you go, all grew up around it and you have the same um, aesthetic and vision and goal and and um, and need. And it just feels great to, you know, as you know, when you connect with your past colleagues, it's just wonderful to know that that in the work that you're doing, um, you're still keeping those roots and those connections. Right, right. Well, we're also excited um, with being able to use our orchestra and to have the L.A. Children's Chorus 
do the singing. I think that this is one of Tchaikovsky's great scores, and I think it's magnificent um, when it's in full bloom. <laughs> yeah, I'm listen. I'm so grateful to you for for um, having the the children's choir here in Miami. We can't do that because we don't have room. Ah. Uh, we don't have we don't have room to put them either in the pit or in the audience or out on the side. So we have to use, even though we have orchestra, we have to use a tape. So you are really actually providing um, providing the audience with the opportunity of, of, of not only seeing but also hearing um, the score as it was meant to be heard uh, by Tchaikovsky. Well, I, um, I can't wait for you guys to arrive, and I can't wait for the premiere. I think it's going to be a glorious production. And thank you and everybody there for partnering with us. And um, we you know, will Rachel, see you shortly. Thank you and, and, and thank the center for your support. We, we really would not be able to do this if you guys hadn't um, come in and, and kind of gotten us all excited uh, about this wonderful partnership. And um, it's great to open it there and in the Los Angeles community. And, and also you should know that our prince um, is from Mexico. Oh. He speaks this perfect Spanish. Um, he's been with us here studying for a few years, and he's got family there. And so um, the, you're, you know, everyone, everyone here from the children on, are thrilled to be part of this, and and thank you very much. Thank you, Lourdes. And thank you for listening to the Music Center's podcast series, Offstage and Unbound. For more information about our dance series, Gloria Kaufman Presents Dance at the Music Center, please visit our website at musiccenter.org. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to our podcast series on iTunes. Until next time, I'm Rachel Moore.